Hello and welcome to the Storytelling with Puck podcast. We will, as always, start with a story. Who wants this $100 bill? The speaker at the podium held up a $100 bill and asked again, who wants this picture of Benjamin Franklin? I'd I'd never been to a seminar before. My eyes darted around the room. I, I saw some hands go up. Again, who wants this hundo? Well, I raised my hand high. A few people responded, me, me. Does anybody want this $100 bill? Anybody? It's a new crisp $100 bill. Want it? Who wants this $100? Well, everyone knew that we all wanted it. So where was this going? The enthusiasm waned. Hands started to drop. Come on. Who wants it? Fuck this, said my coworker Stan Perlmutter as he stood up. I, I watched Stan walk down the aisle toward the podium. The room got very quiet. I watched Stan approach the speaker. I heard Stan say, I want it. And he took the bill right out of the speaker's hands. I froze. I don't think I was breathing. The room was still and silent. My coworker, Harry, slowly shook his head. If you want something, stand up and do something for it. Well, when we heard the speaker say these words, Harry and I looked at each other. Freaking stand, Harry murmured. And he started a slow clap, and moments the entire audience was applauding. When Stan got back to his seat, grinning ear to ear, he brandished his windfall and said, drinks are on Benjamin Franklin tonight. Well, I've carried that moment throughout my working life. I've told it to others, including my kids, always reminding him not to overlook opportunity and to grab it when it presents itself. If opportunity is presented to you, boldly stand up, walk past any of the other people who don't recognize it for what it is, and take it. Well, that got my heart racing from the first word <laughs> out of your mouth, Ben Scott. <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, sharing that story with us. I uh, imagine that um, everybody uh, who is listening cannot wait to find out more about you and, and to seize the opportunity to discover more about that story as well. But before we do, let's have a quick introduction to the podcast. You're listening to Storytelling with Puck, the podcast designed to show the power of stories in life and in business. Stories connect us on a deeper level, which is why we'll be sharing, chatting about, and feeling the impact they have on every one of us. Your host, Stefano, is the founder of Puck Creations, and we work with your business to define a clear, consistent, relevant brand which stands out from the crowd. We use that brand to create content that makes your audience think, feel, and take action. Visit puckcreations.com to find out more. Before you do that, let's take a moment to acknowledge a man who is impressively experienced, consistently effective, and shh, reassuringly expensive. He fast forwards results. His name is Scott Froffingham, and today he's kindly joined us as a guest on Storytelling with Puck. Scott, storyteller, light shiner. Crowd pleaser, I could go on, but please, why don't you tell us about yourself? Well, I'm a uh, I'm a copywriter. Um, it's it's simple, it's uh, it's clean. I I wasn't always a copywriter. I started uh, life as a marketer. Was very impressed with my marketing skills, and I always wrote my own copy. But then one day, I realized that I enjoyed writing copy more than I enjoyed the marketing aspect of. Uh, of, of selling and representing uh, marketing uh, companies. 
to certain advertisers and uh, and uh, other uh, business to business opportunities. And I said, uh, you know, something. Not only do I like it more, but I'm better at it. <laughs> so I said, now I'm a full time copywriter, and um, that was a good uh, eight years or so ago. And uh, I've been enjoying it, and uh, and knock on wood, relatively successful doing it. Fantastic. So let's go back a little bit. How did you get into, because um, you said you were a marketer who, who who wrote copy and then became a copywriter who understands marketing. <laughs> but but how, how did you get into marketing in the first place? What what what, uh, what was the, the route <laughs> to go down? Well, I had a job washing dishes and uh, uh, that was in Ohio in the United States. And let me tell you, in the cold winters, when you're a, uh, a dishwasher, you've got your hands in hot water for a long time, then you go outside to get home, and your uh, your skin starts starts to crack on your hands. It's it's not fun. And I saw an opening at a local radio station, convinced him that I could uh, be a disc jockey on the station. Got the job. Um, was uh, much more fun than washing dishes. Paid about the same. Um, realized I could make more money selling advertising to the station, and uh, and took that job. And then uh, worked my way through a number of uh, of radio stations. Um, got myself down to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, working uh, working in radio, which once again a lot better than cold winters in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And uh, enjoyed working with the customers and started a uh, an agency with a uh, with another guy, and uh, and then went from advertising agency to having my opportunity to get back into radio. Bought some radio stations. Um, Went, sold the radio stations, became a, uh, a business consultant. And uh, as I was consulting people on marketing, I said, I should just be doing this copywriting thing full time. And that's the story. I think you've just shown your skills as a copywriter there because that story is immense and you managed to condense it into, I think, less than a minute. So <laughs> quite well, I think if you, I think, uh, I think a lot of copywriting is just, uh, is just eliminating the boring bits. Yeah. And, Eliminated about twenty odd years of boring bits. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it is also, it is also, though I will say, it is also understanding your audience and uh, and knowing what um, they find um, exciting. So I'm I'm gonna I'm going to expand on some of the bits you might find boring, <laughs> which uh, which was when you first started on the radio, when you first started DJing. What what kind of listenership did you have? How many people were you speaking to at the at the time? This was about as small a radio station as was available in the United States at the time. Part of my job was to actually show up in the morning and turn on the transmitter. The uh, station did not even broadcast overnight. It was amazing. It was was highly local and uh, everything on the station was done with the idea of trying to get advertisers to spend money to keep the radio station running and the uh, boss making a profit. it was uh, primarily music, but uh, I also ran a show called Tradio, the one, which uh, was an adventure of people calling in with things they wanted to buy, sell, rent, or trade. And uh, it was it was it was interesting. It was fun. It was a good experience. Um, I don't think there's such a thing as Tradio on the air in America anymore. Yeah, I don't think there's. I'm, I'm, interestingly, there's quite a lot of TV programs in the UK which are kind of like, <laughs> but there's not so much on the radio uh, uh, anymore. I think we have things like uh, Flog It and um, Bargain Hunt, which are maybe more kind of looking at antiques than kind of you know eBay type stock. But um, but at the same time, they they exist. Well, when you open the uh, phone lines to people 
um, in rural Ohio with things they wanted to buy, sell, rent, or trade. I, I've still got this stuck in my head. I can't do it without saying buy, sell, rent, or, rent, or trade. <laughs> but uh, they came up with a uh, with a number of items. And uh, at the time, we didn't have any delay. And there were some people selling some, uh, some weird stuff. And uh, I had to try and bend that back to a normal conversation, get those clowns off the air. But it was a uh, it was interesting. Shows very popular and uh, moved a lot of items for people. It sounds um, it sounds like the kind of thing I could imagine lots of people liking. I, I, I'm almost surprised actually it doesn't exist as much anymore with all of the reality TV that, that seems to focus on that kind of thing these days. But you've led me to a question which I don't think I can ignore. Um, what was the weirdest? products to anybody ever uh, wanted to sell um probably the oddest one that uh, we allowed on the air um was a farmer that had a prize bull and he was looking for better prices uh than he was getting offered uh for uh bull semen wow yeah i mean that's that was not what i was expecting to be fair that's uh... <laughs> and did he get better prices off? Uh, did, did your show help him? Um, I, I have no idea. We we put his uh, put his call uh, over the air. He made his request for people who uh, were in the market for breeding their cows. I, I uh, I'm not that well versed in that subject, but uh, you know, with a variety of things and a good background for a copywriter because you were dealing right on the level of people buying and selling, and uh, and you had to talk about items you uh, didn't necessarily. Uh, know anything about so uh yes i guess one of my early assignments was uh selling bull semen go figure fantastic i mean we all have to start somewhere um <laughs> that was just where you started <laughs> tell me more about copywriting tell me more about um you mentioned earlier cutting out the things that aren't interested that's one of good aspect of good copywriting uh, i mentioned understanding your audience which uh, i think we'll both agree is uh, is another big aspect of good copywriting. What else is there that makes makes a good piece of copy? Well, I think uh, I think we start where you started, is understanding your audience. Um, everybody out there in the world has something they either want to grow, they want to um, avoid, or they want to solve. And so once you find out what those, what that desire is, it's does that, how does the product or service that you are hired to uh, to present to these people, how does it answer that need of the people? So uh, uh, that's about as simple as you can get. Then obviously the uh, uh, the step is into persuasion of uh, of getting the person to consider that product or service, and gets back to storytelling because one of the most effective ways to do that is to get the person. The, the target audience to imagine themselves with their problem solved because they used your product or service. And it's basically that simple, but uh, uh, once again, uh, that, uh, that takes a, takes a little skill. And one, one of the toughest parts is editing is getting rid of the, uh, getting rid of the boring bits. I, I, I think it was Michelangelo, but I have no idea. Somebody, uh, somebody described the art of sculpting as a, uh, as if you're gonna if you're gonna sculpt a portrait of somebody, you uh, you chip away all the bits of marble that aren't that person. 
That's really clever. Uh, I, I'm not sure who it was, um, but uh, I think we can give the credit to, to Michelangelo and if anyone complains. <laughs> yes, yeah, so if, if, if he contacts you and says he didn't actually say it, we've got uh, a bigger story than uh, than my misquoting a, uh, exactly. a great article. Exactly. Yeah, I think I think you're right. But but again, you're also right about um, about editing. I, I know that half of my job um, most most days is editing uh, down my own work and uh, working with editors as well because it's very hard to edit your own, uh, your own work um, sometimes. Uh, so there's a there's a, there's a I guess a practice of um, reading aloud which helps with editing. But what else would you say are good tools, good tips to uh, if somebody is getting into this trait to be able to edit themselves or if they want to edit someone else? Well, um, the first thing I always do is uh, is read every sentence and, and then ask myself the question, uh, so what or mm-hmm. okay or, uh, or, or or what's 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 the point? Um, so if you go through sentence by sentence, you might find that there are areas you're covered uh, that uh, really don't advance um, your goal. Uh, I do like to read aloud. Um, that helps uh, not only find things that uh, that uh, that can be edited out, but also helps you with rhythm and flow, and uh, make sure that uh, your your copy sounds good as well as reading good. And one of the things that helps me quite a bit is looking at it in a uh, in a different format. Um, I tend to edit better pen on paper. Mm-hmm. So after through my edits on the screen, I'll often print out what I've, uh, what I've written and then go through it with a red pen. It's just sometimes seeing it in a different light. The, uh, the final thing, and, uh, and this is nothing new, but, uh, it's, if you have the time, there is absolutely nothing better than taking time away from what you've written. You can put yes. aside 24 hours, or even if you don't have 24 hours, if you can, um, take a walk, watch a silly video on YouTube, do something that takes your mind away from it then you can uh, you can look at it through fresh eyes um which also helps um it's been described to me that uh, by people who know much more about these things than i do that we are psychologically programmed to see the things that we meant to say when we wrote it so it's very hard sometimes when you're reading something maybe there's a word repeated and your brain doesn't see it because it knows it's not supposed to be there yeah. So sometimes shaking your brain up a little bit with a uh, with a walk, another distraction, or just twenty four hours of doing something else um, helps you get back to seeing it fresh and being able to do a a, a better edit than you would have at the time. There's, um, there's been quite a few tests, I think, on that actually, where they've um, they've shown people uh, documents where they have switched around the consonants or just taken some consonants out of certain words, um, or they've um, uh, maybe added in a letter or switched a word around with another word, um, and just got people to 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 read it and then say what they read, and as you say, they read what the original structure was, what the original perfectly formed sentence was, not what the punctured um uh paragraph was or sentence was uh, and uh, you, i again like you I'm, I'm not an expert on the psychology behind it but it's um it, there were people who have done um significant research on it and it leads back to what you said about the importance of of going away and just taking a break from it all because then you can put a fresh set of eyes on onto what you've written interestingly i also find and i don't know if you'll agree with this but I have a feeling you will, um, but when it comes to to writing as well, 
that's also one of the best ways to create ideas and to come up with something new is also to take a break, to get away from the screen, to to go for a walk, to even just stare out the window. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of staring out the window. What are, you, what are your thoughts on, on, on coming up with ideas? Well, I've, I've often, uh, I've often uh, suggested that people who employ copywriters um, should not be worried that their copywriter isn't working when they're staring out the window. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's of importance. Of course, uh, in, in my years of doing this, I've also found absolutely a foolproof way to find a typo. And that's rereading something that you just sent to the client. <laughs> it's amazing. Times I can go over something, review it. And most of the time I'm fine, but periodically I send it to the client for some reason. I have this need to reread it, even though I've, I've, painstakingly edited stuff and I look at it and I say, Oh my goodness. I, uh, uh, there's a, a typo flashing itself at me. It's almost in, in neon. And how could I have missed this? But, uh, it, it, it happens occasionally. And, uh, it does. I, I'm interested to know actually um, uh, what the psychology behind that would be, because uh, again, it's happened to me on on more than one occasion, and so I wonder why it is. Again, how that maybe switches your brain into maybe it, it's an adrenaline mode or something like that, which which makes you more focused and more able to to edit precisely. I, I have no idea. I'm making the science That's, up. <laughs> you're you're a lot nicer than I am. I just uh, I just beat myself up about it and uh, and berate myself, and it's not a particularly healthy moment, but I. I get over it and move on. Oh, I'm glad you, I'm glad you got over it. And I, I'm going to send you the good vibes of all of the listeners who, who tell you not to berate yourself. <laughs> it's a hard job. It's a hard job. <laughs> um, so we've we talked a little bit about the, the, the editing. We talked um, uh, in, in to, to some degree about the writing and, 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 and what makes a good copywriter. And also, more importantly, what makes a good piece of copy. But there's, there's one question, and I, I saw you'd... Um, created what I thought was a brilliant post on this on, on LinkedIn recently. What's copy without a good offer? Well, um, it's, you, you need, you need three things. Um, when you're, when you're in, in marketing, like we are, um, you need an offer that's going to appeal to your target audience. Um, you need, um, good copywriting to, um, uh, to make that offer um, clear and compelling, and you need a way to reach the audience. So if you don't have your traffic in order, in other words, you're not effectively reaching those people who could be or should be buying your product or service. And if you don't have an offer that's gonna compel them to make a move to reach into their pocket and pull out their wallet, um, your, your copy is not gonna help you. You know, copy, copy, uh, copy not told to anybody isn't going to sell anything. And copy told to people who aren't in the market or have a need or desire for your product or service is is useless. It's so true. I, I um, like you. I, I used to work um, in in the radio industry. Although I never owned a radio station. That's uh, that's maybe for some point in the future. But we used to go and speak to clients and take a brief from them to understand what it is they were selling, um, uh, what it meant to their customers, uh, as we talked about earlier, what the actual benefits are, not just what the features of the product are. And so often we'd, we'd have two different 
types of ads. The ads, uh, you, you'll know this, um, the, the ads that are kind of longer term spots which go for a year or so where you repeat in the same ad and it's about building brand awareness. You still have some kind of call to action at the end of it, but it's not as um, intense, I guess. Um, and then you would have the ads, which would be for something that's coming up in two weeks, some kind of event or some kind of product that you really want to sell right now. And often would say, so what's the what's the benefit of this product? And they would come up with something like, well, they get free parking. <laughs> and, and, and you know this would be free parking on an industrial estate with all of the other shops around which also have free parking it's not it's not something that stands out in any way shape or form and, and try to explain sometimes to people who think they have the best product in the world and often do have an extremely good product but that a radio ad is not going to help them at all unless you have something that's going to prick the ear of the listener that makes them go oh you're giving away if we turn up you're giving away vouchers for um a i don't know 100 uh, 100 um euro 100 dollars off uh your product or the actual benefit of this product is going to help me for the next five years or whatever it is if it's not strong you're never going to attract people do, do you did you do you have customers where you have to get them to realize the benefits of their products rather than just what their product is well of course i mean uh you know if you've built a business um you have um you have a lot of love and investment in the product or service you're doing and some of the things that are highly important to you and the reason you're successful um your target audience doesn't really care about and so that's why often a a a, a customer you meet might be more focused on features um because those features are important to him or more f- focused on features that aren't necessarily important to the customer. And that's where research on certain level comes in to say, um, it's not enough to have a benefit. It has to be a benefit that is realized as a benefit uh, or is important to the customer. You know, advertisers and, um, and business people, when it comes to uh, the advertising promotion, websites, et cetera, um, are so different from their customers. Um, you know, you, uh, you, you, you write a TV spot for somebody and you know that, uh, that he's watching TV, waiting for that spot to come on. He knows he's going to be in the nightly news, um, nightly news breaks for commercial. You know, he calls his wife and kids, the commercial's coming on the commercial's coming on. Be quiet, turn up the volume. This is great. And then he watches that commercial with the focus of look at that. And he knows how much money he spent on it. And deep down. He's thinking, wow, hundreds of people, thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people have all stopped what they're doing, called their wife and children over and scrutinized every second of that commercial. And now they're going to come pouring into my uh, into my business and, and make huge purpose purchases. Um, you know, sometimes you just have to remind the uh, the the customer that what he feels is important or or she feels is of key benefit um is important and is beneficial but maybe not the priority of their customer yes no it's uh it's funny because sometimes um 
we had uh, in in a lot of the corporate companies I've worked with in the past would have sales training and you'd be talking about the motivations of our customers. So the people who are maybe putting on ads or working in IT, the people who are buying a product. And one of the, especially in the radio advertising industry, one of the biggest reasons people would buy from us would actually be what you just described, ego. Um, So the ego of having their product, their baby on the radio. Um, And as much as, you could sell going down that road. Actually, I avoided it quite a lot. I didn't use that really as a tool in my sales book too often because I, I I find it a bit dangerous because, as you say, if they're obsessed with, oh, well, this is amazing, it's on um, the radio, and now all of my potential customers and all of these potential listeners are going to think the same, when it eventually goes wrong because we haven't actually fine-tuned the ad to benefit the customer – then you've got longer term problems and you don't keep good client relationships. The reason the reason I wanted to talk about that specifically is because you wrote a um, a brilliant story for uh, the Storytelling with Puck initiative back in beginning of February. Um, and in that story, you talked about building customer relationships. I don't know if you remember part of that story at the top of your head <laughs> or... or... I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure which uh, what story I told, but... Uh... If you familiarize me, I'm sure it'll come to mind. So it was regarding, um, now I haven't got the story in front of me, so I'm going to have to try and remember. This was a, this was a while ago for me too. Um, but it was regarding um, you and another um, kind of top salesman working um, working in a company. And the... Oh, uh, yes. Okay, maybe you can tell the story rather than me telling that people want to hear your voice. <laughs> now you um, remember it. Well, I'll, I'll uh, uh, off the top of my head... Uh, um, I remember it because it had happened. Um, but basically, um, I had come into work for a, uh, this is the abridged version. I'd come into work for a company as a junior salesperson. And um, there was a guy, a Byron, who was the top performer. He was the guy who got the salesman of the uh, month slot. He was a guy who got the awards. He was the, he was the star of the show. And uh, when I got there and saw how, well, he was received in the company and how much money he was making as a young guy. I said, well, I'm, I'm setting my sights on this guy. Um, uh, I don't know, four or five months into my tenor there, I started beating his sales figures and uh, started beating consistently. And uh, my, my big, you know, I'm a young guy. It was less about the figures and more about the fact I got the parking spot. <laughs> you know, don't, don't worry about the money. Give me a gold star. I <laughs> Sales with a bunch of parking spot. I remember, <laughs> <laughs> and I remember one of the guys from production saying, uh, "How come you keep parking in that spot?" And I said, "You know, uh, I'm probably bragged a little bit, but well, you know, I'm 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 the I'm the best sales. I'm selling more than anybody else." And uh, his response immediately was, "Well, Byron is the star salesperson," and I said, "Well." Uh, yeah, he's 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 great. He goes, well, then why do you get the spot? And I said, well, I'm selling more than he is. And they said, well, why are you selling more than he is? And I said, because Byron's a star because he goes after that client that the sales manager says, that guy's never going to buy. And Byron was charming and persuasive. He was a great sales guy. And he would close those those accounts that were uh, that were high marquee accounts. And the salesman loved him for it. The sales, the, the whole team uh, was just in awe of this guy. 
Um, my idea was to go after people who would actually need or want our products. Because after Byron made the big sale, often a month or two later, um, there was a we're never going to buy our, our product is because they didn't really need it. I went after guys who, uh, who needed and wanted um, what we were selling. And so they stuck around for months and years while uh, Byron's dropped off eventually. So um, that's basically the, uh, the, the story that I, I submitted with a, uh, there are a lot more flourishes in my writing than that uh, than that quick telling, but uh, there, there were. But the, the general point of the story still comes across um, today, and and I'll uh, I'll guide people um, later when we on the show notes to to the full story so they can see the the beautiful creativity of your writing too. Um, but the reason I, I wanted you to share that story is because I think it does align with what we were talking about in terms of if the only reason somebody is buying a radio slot is for their ego after a while that's going to diminish it's not going to be a good enough reason because there's not a genuine need for them to um, want radio slots and maybe it still feels cool for them after a while to have the ego but it will it will it will dissipate whereas if they buy radio slots and buy good creativity and all of the bits and pieces that come with it and then have more customers because of it over time and that's starting to develop that actually they had a genuine need and they're going to keep coming back and keep on buying from you and they're going to keep a strong relationship up and i think your story shows an equivalence of that would, would you agree or oh definitely agree and that's why uh, at least for me um at the time a local radio sales was a great place to learn uh, marketing and copywriting because um it was a little less um, corporate in those days. And so I was going out and talking to local business owners, often business owners who were manning their own shop. And every penny they spent was very important to them. It, it had to work. I, um, I used to always think, uh, you know, uh, if, uh, if, if I do a good job with this, uh, with this commercial and, uh, and write it well and record it well and put it in the right spots, this guy can buy his kids premium ice cream. You know, that's a, a little bit off point, but uh, you know, if, if I couldn't make it happen, if I couldn't make that cash register, cash register ring, those dollars were being taken from something else. And so that kind of training got me very customer focused and uh, very focused on what the, uh, what the end goal is. And so as I've, uh, as, as I've grown and handle uh, uh, clients who were, uh, who are far bigger and far farther removed from their customer and uh, and the need for everything to have a, a precise measurable response and that stuck with me I, I take it I take when somebody spends money with me I, I take it very seriously um, and I always think about some of those guys I dealt with I think of I think of Larry Bowen the uh, the local butcher who would uh, who would buy uh, buy radio commercials for me and you know for every commercial that uh, that he paid for he needed to sell a, you know a couple of lamb chops um and if you keep that attitude i think uh, as a as a copywriter if you see how important it is to people even though you get into a higher atmosphere um or, or stratosphere in terms of the the type customer you're having maybe uh, a little bit of leeway if you keep that attitude you'll always be making decisions and uh, and offering advice that's in the best interest of the uh, of the customer it's brilliant and I think also the kind of thing that your customers and future customers are going to want to hear as well, because I think one thing that shines through with suppliers in general, not just 
service suppliers like us who, who create copy or or, or 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 do brand workshops or whatever but also product suppliers and and suppliers of anything if customer can see that you are putting in almost as much love attention and care into their business as they do they're not going to ever leave you because they know that most people won't do that and i think you've shown through your words there that that's something that you care about well um you know and it reminds me i brought up larry bowen the uh the butcher uh uh one time i got a call at work and uh, it was larry and he said uh, uh free up your afternoon and come to the shop <laughs> like you know the guy was a little unpredictable like you know what's happened you know did i not perform properly <laughs> and i got there and he said uh we're cutting up a side of beef because uh you're always asking me questions about how my business works and uh, and what i sell and how i sell it and why people go so he goes here's an apron and we went in the back and we cut up a side of beef and he was going here's what here's where you use the bone saw here's how you clean up the bone chips here's what you cut out here's here you know and then little bits and piece of knowledge that i uh, uh that i never never knew you know here's a here's a x kind of here's where this comes from and uh it was a uh, it was a wonderful education and the and the better you get to know your customers and their product and their and and their customers um the more genuine you can be in writing the words that need to be written. That's the reason Scott's customers stay with him. You're listening to Scott Frothingham on the Storytelling with Puck podcast. His friend took an opportunity to gain $100 and Scott's stories help you to take the opportunity to live, learn and explore new ways of thinking. Listen on to discover what comes first, copy or design. Find out about Scott's work as an author and see how Scott deals with negative feedback. Feel free to give us five-star feedback wherever you're listening. We'll have a story to finish the episode, but before all of that, let's listen to the person who gives us all the power to speak, Jackie Goddard. My creativity at its best, it's a real exploring, it's a surprising journey. I think creativity is just the, the antidote to insanity and it's productive originality. Surprising answers, inspiring stories, motivational, educational, inspirational. Wise words with Power to Speak the podcast. Find us on your favourite podcast platform or watch on YouTube at Power to Speak the podcast with me, Jackie Goddard. Yeah, uh, well, I can only imagine that <laughs> with no preparation <laughs> being pulled into. Are there any customers, uh, you know, you don't have to mention names of customers, are there any industries or sectors that you've worked with where you think, I, I wouldn't practice that? <laughs> well, well um, you know, I can, I, can, I, can, I can run the gamut here. Um, you know, I, I, I do work for a major water filter, home water filtration system and, uh, and obviously using in uh, that product, et cetera. I, I don't partake, but I've done some work in the uh, in the cannabis industry, and uh, you know that uh, that uh, that that begs for uh, well, I really need to get to need to know your product a lot better. So <laughs> send, send over a couple of pounds, and I'll uh, and I'll experience it like your customer. Um, but yeah, I, I try and do my best to uh, to uh, to learn the customer. I love uh, uh, one of my favorite things to do, and sometimes it's hard to. Uh, to pry it out of their hands, but I like to get into the uh, into the 
um, customer service departments, even more than sales departments. Mm-hmm. And I like to read what the customer feedback says. And the and the, the guys who are hand-manning the phones for customer service, they know what is making their customers happy and what's making them unhappy. And if you know that, and often I know it better than the guys in the C-suite, when I make recommendations, I can make recommendations from that area that I, uh, that I know will resonate better with the customers they need to speak to. This comes back to what we were talking about earlier with understanding a customer's true, um, either either understanding their goals, what they really desire, but also understanding their pains um, and understanding what's not going well for them. And, and, and by speaking to the customer services teams, you're understanding what's not going well. And then you're able to, okay, this is, this is interesting because sometimes ads can go horribly wrong when this happens. <laughs> because you, you, you're going to know, I'm sure you know what I'm going to say here, but um, sometimes advertising departments look at customer service uh, responses and then create a really tone deaf ad, um, <laughs> which talks about, um, you know, all of these things that you're going through, which are our fault. Well, we're going to fix them for all of our new customers. Um, <laughs> but I know that's not what you do. Um, if you're able to, if you're able to actually go in there and understand what their pains are and then say, to the business that this is maybe the way we can fix it and now we can advertise it this way too, then I think you want to a winner and, and that seems like what you'll do. And I write for more than just advertising. I also write uh, sales pieces, promotional pieces, et cetera, uh, websites. And um, that uh, that knowledge reflects well there as well. It's not just, yeah. uh, it's just not in uh, in customer outreach. Um, it, uh, it, it Understanding the customer is, is key to... Uh, to all those areas. Of course, in the sales pieces, um, you have to understand the customer that's perhaps buying the product or service to then present to their their customers downline. But uh, that's that's what it all gets down to. Understand, uh, I, I use the acronym GAS, grow, avoid, solve. Mm-hmm. To grow something, everybody wants to avoid something or they want to uh, uh, solve something. And so if you keep GAS in mind, You'll always be asking that question. What? What? Okay, I, I understand this is your audience, but what? What does your audience want to grow, avoid, or solve? And how can I connect with them emotionally to let them see themselves get out of this situation or improve the situation using the product or service I'm uh, I'm responsible to tell them about? That's a really. It's actually a really profound thing that you just said, and I'm going to completely ruin it by telling you that I'm going to steal that clip and put it out there, which says, if you keep gas in mind. <laughs> things we can do with editing these things. It's incredible. <laughs> um, but back to back to a more serious note. Um, when you sit down with customers, um, I get asked this question all the time, but I saw you answer it recently, and your answer was way better than I've ever answered. And people ask you, what comes first? copy or design what's your answer uh, my answer uh, uh, my answer is yes um, elaborate what you need to be successful is an idea so the idea comes first once you have the idea then the determination is how do we best idea is it best presented through design is it best presented through copy? Is it a balance? Well, it's always a balance of the two, but is it is it more of a balance and one taking the lead? And uh, that's why, of course, I'm a proponent of when possible to have the copywriter working with the designer 
because as often happens, um, you, if you're brought in late, this often happens to me in terms of web design. Um, a company has spent a lot of money to get great web design. We're going to make this great web design. We've talked to the designer and this is going to look good. We're going to have this and this is going to be in the right place. And this is going to be perfect. And then they say, uh, okay, Scott, write the copy for this. And I'm thinking, okay, um, you're asking me to squeeze copy into the areas that I have. And that's my job and I get it. But this would have been better had I known what we were trying to, had known about this from the future. And often I go back and say, look, uh, you know, this page um, I feel needs to be adjusted so we can get this information um, closer to the top, above the fold, um, in an area that'll have more attention. And it, the design might not be quite as cool when I'm done, but uh, we'll get the response we need uh, to make this worth your investment. Which is, which is the most important part. Um, it, it's interesting because there is often a battle between um, between the look and the substance of a website. Uh, similarly to you, I come across this quite a lot. And often I find there are people almost on polar ends of this and who say, well, some people who say, well, it just has to be substantial. It has to have the information you need and it has to convert. And then other people who say, oh, but it's, it's got to look good. It's got to look beautiful. I think you've just described it quite well. It, it, as far as I'm concerned, it kind of needs to be a bit of both. Because if it looks good, it's going to attract people and it's going to draw their eye. But then once they start reading, then actually the copy and also the video and some of the other pictures that are on the page are going to to actually do the conversion. They're actually going to get people to, and we'll talk about this more in a second as well, they're going to get people to feel something and then to apply a little bit of logic to it and then take an action. Um, but I think if you don't have both, and this is when you talk about having the 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 designer and the copy editor or copywriter working together, um, I think then either way you're going to come across problems. What are, what are your thoughts on on that? Well, it's it's part of it is what the customer expects to see. Mm -hmm. uh, I've I've written a number of books and uh, I've I've learned that if you're writing a specific genre, the customer expects to see something on the cover to let them know it's that genre, style, or whatever. But I mean, if you walk into a bank and you ask to see the vice president because you have some questions on your account and the vice president comes out in a, uh, uh, in a swimsuit and a tank top um, and the tank top, uh, you know, has a big finger on says, I'm with stupid. <laughs> and you, you're the first thing you're going to think even if this guy is brilliant and really helping you, there's going to be part of your, your brand that's thinking, I'm not sure I'm totally comfortable with this guy. I'm not sure he's making good decisions. I'm not sure he looks like what I expect him to look like. At the same time, if you, if you're a, if you're a, your bank vice president is a, is Pierce Brosnan in his best James Bond uh, uh, tuxedo. Um, if the guy can't talk the talk, you're going to feel uncomfortable. So you've got to find that balance where it's something that people um, are either going to be comfortable with because it's expected or comfortable with because it fits what, what they want out of the product. At the same time, you have to be in a position to give them the information that will get their attention and, uh, and allow you to build uh, interest and curiosity and, and then lead them into the sales process. So it is a combination of both. And, um, you 
it, it isn't necessarily formulaic, mm-hmm. um, but uh, as long as you know what the customer wants and needs, you can make adjustments to make it work. That's, that's true. Uh, it's interesting as well because you talked then about um, obviously banks and um, and then the brand that goes goes with the idea of the product that you have in mind. Um, I also think that comes down to your brand as a business because actually you could maybe have a particular type of bank which could have um the vice president um coming out wearing a t-shirt saying i'm with stupid that would actually be okay if everything else around that bank was set up in a way that it's the we're the cool friendly bank we're the kind of bank who wants to take you on trips we're going to give you a loan because we're your mate if they if they have set up the bank to be to be different to stand out in that way and to have a brand which is kind of a bit out there but always underlines it with you know but we're really clever <laughs> and we know what we're doing <laughs> um, then then i think you might actually even even in a bank be able to get away with um being different but if your whole ethos is we're an authority you know we have an authority on banking we understand it inside out and we're going to tell you what to do and this is the tone we speak in because we're going to protect you and we're going to make sure that we're speaking with all of the top dogs to make sure that your money is going into the right place. And if you have that kind of authority, and then you come out with a T-shirt saying, I'm with stupid, you're not going to garner the respect of your clients, I think. So I think, it, 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 as you say, it, it's not formulaic. You have to understand yourself better as a business before you can speak to your customers. Or get a good copywriter. Um, <laughs> yeah. When that guy comes out in the... Uh, in the uh, in the tank top and swim shorts says, look, I was surfing, but when I heard you were coming in, I knew it was important that your problem get addressed. So instead of going home and putting on the, uh, the, the gabardine suit and the, uh, and the silk tie, I came here immediately to help with your need. That switches the whole, uh, the whole subject around. So uh, again, it's, it's understanding your customer and, uh, and responding to their needs that, uh, that's why you do what you do that was brilliant (laughs) so so you mentioned earlier that you um have uh written and i'm not sure you mentioned this but i've seen that you've published um lots of books as well Mm -hmm. tell us uh tell our listeners a little bit more about that um well the books uh uh, if if your listeners are writers, they will understand this. If your listeners aren't writers, they probably won't understand this. Um, when I'm not writing, I'm writing. I, I like to write. It's what I do. So uh, if I'm not writing specific uh, assignments for customers or, or things to support my business, I write other things. And uh, uh, I've written uh, most of the books under, uh, under pseudonyms, um, which actually leads to a, a sort of amusing story. Um, a number of years ago, I'd uh, I'd written a book, and it uh, achieved um, Amazon top seller in the category, and I was uh, excited and overly impressed with myself, and and uh, and ran to my wife and said, "Look, I've you know I've, I've reached this level. How great this is!" And she she looks and she sees it's by uh, by one of my pseudonyms. She goes, "Oh oh, how nice!" She goes, uh, "Your make believe people are selling more books than you are." The closest people to us are always the kindest yes. and the most supportive, aren't they? <laughs> so the books, the books are more of a distraction. Just like my blog, um, 
Um, I'm a big, big, big believer in SEO. I'm a big believer in using your blog to, uh, um, to push your business. My blog, um, honestly, is just writing stuff that I find interesting that I think other marketing writers might find interesting. And uh, it's just, a, it, it's not used as I would traditionally recommend a blog to be used. It's more of an outlet for me to, uh, to write. So if I'm, if I'm not writing, um, I want to be writing. Do you know, I think some people who aren't writers will also get that because they're, you know, it's, it's the idea of just loving your work and loving what you do. So we both, cause I'm like you, I, 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 when I'm not writing, I'm writing, I mean, exactly the same. Um, but there are going to be, um, people in other industries and other trades who will have a similar kind of ethos when I'm not designing, I'm designing, et cetera, et cetera. I, I feel like it will, it will connect with others, but it, it's brilliant that you do write i think uh and you author things because i think it also gives you a different understanding of writing because you have the marketing and the sales background but then you also have the creative writing and i i think uh we were talking earlier about um writing good copy that you know fits your brand but we also need to be able to write things that stand out and and that intrigue people and i think actually having that creative side can really help sometimes to bring people in there is a balance you need to get to a point when it's copy <laughs> you can't be overly fluffy with it but i think having that creativity and also getting to the point really works really works well now i so far and to be honest it's not going to stop because i really like everything you do have been very positive about your work and only given you positive feedback that's not going to change today however if a customer came to you and said what is this? This doesn't work at all. This doesn't fit our tone. This doesn't fit our customer base. Uh, this bit of writing, this power, this whole paragraph is wrong, or even some slightly minor changes. How do you react to feedback? Well, uh, my advice to uh, to any marketing writer is don't hand anything to the customer that you can't defend. There's a reason that you put it in there. Um, but I also tell people, and I probably tell them too often, the uh, the customer is not always right. However, the customer is always the customer. And, and you have written something for the customer and they tell you they don't like it. Um, the first thing you have to do is decide, okay, do they not like it because they don't like it? Or do they don't or do they not like it because they don't think it'll work? Let's find out why they don't think it'll work. And um the, the customer could be right. Yeah, I I uh I hadn't considered that, or I'd forgotten that, or I hadn't used that, and uh, uh, that's great. Let me work on it. On the other hand, if you feel the customer is making a mistake, um, you know, you uh, you, you got to add in the fact that we were founded by uh, by my father in uh, in 1951, um, and you think that's going to distract from the point we're making. You've got to stand up and uh, and make your point. Um, the customer has already bought the copy. If he uh, or she feels they need to change it, it's their copy to do what uh, what they want with. It's your duty as a copywriter, I feel, um, to tell them why you did it and perhaps why you disagree. But when the dust is clear, like I said, even if the customer is not always right, the customer is always the customer. Completely with you. And it's it's uh, important not to take things um, overly pers personally. There's um, 
I think it's episode five of, of, of this series that um, there's a, a gentleman named Mark Robinson who teaches prison presentation skills. And he actually took this line, I think it was Stephen, uh, Stephen King, possibly, um, who, who originally said, uh, kill your darlings. Yes. Um, and I feel like as copywriters, we need to be able to do that. Something might seem beautiful, but it's not relevant. So we need to be able to edit it out and say, actually, it, it doesn't work for this piece of copy. We can keep it. We can put it somewhere else. Maybe it will work later, but, but it doesn't work now. But we also, what we do with writing is the art of persuasion, but actually we also have to have the art of persuasion when we're speaking to our clients in the same way that you just mentioned then. And we have to be able to persuade them to sometimes kill their darlings. And their darling might be, my father started up the business in, I don't know, 1921, but it's not relevant. It's not relevant to their customers. And so actually we need to be able to persuade them to change their minds as well. I have thoroughly enjoyed um, speaking to you, Scott. All of the stories that you've produced, I, I feel like people who are copywriters and marketers and wanting to learn more will have got so much from this. And even those who aren't might now want to become copywriters <laughs> just listening to you. <laughs> they, they would have felt the art, the art of persuasion. Um, it's, it's, it's truly powerful. But uh, whatever their reason, there are going to be lots of people who would like to get in contact with you and to find out more. So if that's the case, how can they do that? Where, where are you? Uh, best place to find me is... Uh... My website, uh, fastforwardresults.com. Um, I, uh, the only social media I focus on is uh, LinkedIn um, uh, because it's, uh, it, it suits what I do, but also I just don't have time to do um, more social media than that properly. Um, either of those places. The other good news is um, there are not a lot of Scott Frothinghams out there. <laughs> So, uh, especially Robert Scott Frothingham, my first name is uh, is Robert, and sometimes you see me signing my name, R. Scott Frothingham, but there's not that many of us out there. So, uh, if you can't remember the uh, the website or you're you're not on LinkedIn, uh, uh, find a Frothingham, and eventually you'll you'll find me. You'll find okay. And now you have. I feel like you're doing this on purpose. You you forced me again. To, I can't ignore a question. <laughs> so your name is Scott Frothingham, but your name is actually Robert Scott. What's the what's the origin and the change of that? Why, why do you not use it? Actually, I'm the fourth Robert. Um, my great grandfather, my uh, grandfather, and my father were Robert. Um, uh, my mother, uh, my dad was uh, it was called Bob by most people, and my mom, uh, when I was born, was uh, adamant that I was going to be referred to as either Junior or Little Bob. Bobby, so she said, "Your name is Scott," and. Uh, um, I'm fine with that. It hasn't, uh, of course, it sometimes causes trouble with, uh, uh, with, with credit cards and, uh, and other institutions that say you, we don't want your first name to be R period. <laughs> Robert, then I've got to remember when I'm calling, what's your name? If I Scott Frothingham, we don't have a Scott Frothingham. Oh yes. Oh, try Robert Frothingham. But, uh, <laughs> that, that, that definitely sounds like a little bit of a scam when you have to change your name halfway through. <laughs> but the good news is nobody calls me junior. And, uh, and uh, especially now that I'm uh, a grown up and heavy in girth, nobody calls me little Bob. So I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good I, job, I, I do. <laughs> yeah, that is that is a good job. I do always I do always find it interesting when uh, when people get older and they're still called junior at, um, in their in their latter years. But uh, each did their own. <laughs> so, but Robert Scott, 
Junior, Little Bob, um, whatever we <laughs> whatever we leave it with today. Um, genuinely, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining um, us on the Storytelling with Puck podcast. We will, as always, finish the episode with a story. Document two. What have you done? Have you not heard the cries of document one? With one hand you give a taste of punctuation. With the other, you take words and give no explanation. Document one had so much to say. It may not have been clear that it seemed okay. This pain you call an edit cuts right through. Still, I can't deny the beauty of document two. You've just been listening to an episode of the Storytelling with Puck podcast. Your support keeps our podcast going, so please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen. Subscribe to keep up to date with the latest episodes and never forget the importance of sharing your stories.